The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Uh, how's the volume? You can hear okay there, everybody? It's good? Okay, hi. Okay, so thanks. Hi, good morning. One way to think about um, meditation practice, and in fact all of Dharma practice, is that it's aiming towards a shift in perception. And I want to talk about this idea and one particular shift in perception that's emphasized a lot, especially in the old Pali texts. Um, you know, this, uh, there are plenty of times when perhaps we're dealing with some challenge or difficulty in our lives and um, all that's needed is we come to some understanding or we see something or we perceive in some way that we hadn't. And it can, not always, but it can make a real shift in how we're able to be or work with something. Uh, and psychotherapy uh, can in, in oftentimes work this way, right? We, we are led or guided through some process and we come to understand or know or perceive something about ourselves in a way we hadn't. And sometimes that's enough for some difficulty or challenging place to, to let go around or drop away. Again, not always, but it, but it can work in that way. According to uh, the traditional story, uh, af- just after the Buddha's enlightenment, he, the first people he taught were five ascetics who he had practiced with for about six years. They're called the group of five. And back in, in the Buddhist time, um, and, uh, people were engaging in all kinds of... Some of the practices were pretty bizarre, probably by our standards, but quite... A severe ascetic practice as people were starving themselves, uh, purposely making themselves quite uncomfortable in various ways, uh, seeking their enlightenment. And the story is, is that the Buddha realized that uh, uh, this mortification of the body, severe asceticism, didn't lead to the enlightenment he was seeking, and he uh, turned his attention in a different direction, attained his enlightenment. And then he came back and met up with, with the group of five who had been practiced with, practicing with. Um, and tradition tells us that the very first talk he gave was to this group of five, and it's, it's called Setting in Motion the Wheel of the Dharma. And he talked about the middle way, which is uh, a path between uh, being lost in sense pleasures and asceticism, on the other hand, a middle path. Now, his middle path, I think, we, he, was, he was a world-renouncing ascetic. There's no getting around it. But anyway, he was at least bringing enough food to uh, care for the body, and he had his definition of what he'd call the middle way. And then he also ta- talked about, uh, in that same discourse, talked about the Four Noble Truths. And at the end of that talk, one of the group of five had a realization, and this is one of the shifts in perception. It's a very important shift in perception. And he uttered a phrase that's uh, it's one of these stock phrases that pop up uh, a number of times in the old texts. 
you know, according to the story, someone will hear a discourse from the Buddha, and that's all it would, would take. And they would have some deep awakening. And so the first of the five ascetics, uh, to, uh, the group of five, to, to have his awakening, and it happened at the end of this first discourse. His name was Kondanya. And the Buddha gave this talk, uh, Middle Way, Four Noble Truths, and then Kondanya uttered the phrase, all things that are of a nature to arise are of a nature to pass away. And he had his enlightenment or his awakening. And that phrase, all things that are of a nature to arise are of a nature to pass away, shows up over and over and over again. They're talking about impermanence. Now, we may not think that's what I want to focus on uh, today. We may not think that that's such a shift in perception because you ask anyone, any of us here, we say, well, do things change? We'd all say, well, yeah. It's not hard to see, right? Things are changing. We don't live our lives as if it's true. It's not part of our, in general, for most of us, most of the time, that's not part of our conscious awareness, that perception. And one of the things that happens as we strengthen our mindfulness and we develop the ability of the mind to be less scattered and more clear and present and steady, and that's one of the effects of meditation practice, is that that awareness naturally uh, is with us more and more. It doesn't mean we'll never forget, but it, it, it informs how we act and live more and more. And we can also remember to consciously turn our attention in that direction more of the time if it can serve us. So one of the questions that we need to each ask ourselves, um, that I'm suggesting we ask ourselves, is how would it serve me? How would it inform the actions I take, how I live, the choices I make, if that perception was more actualized for me, was more active or alive more of the time, would it make some shifts or not? So it's, it's worth uh, asking ourselves that question and reflecting on. Now, right along with that, and this is not the little pith statement that Condonia made, but a corollary very, very important piece that goes along with uh, the teaching on impermanence is things don't happen for no reason. And the way we say it in Buddhist teachings is um, all things happen due to causes and conditions. It's basically saying, you know, something doesn't pop into existence for no reason. There's some cause. Again, if you ask anyone, they would say, well, yeah, sure, of course. There was some reason, some cause why something happened. We may not understand or know what that cause is, but we would agree, I think, I hope, all of us with the concept. That's very important, and that's really the key. Because not only are things changing, but we have some influence on the direction how we want things to go. If things are happening due to causes and conditions, if we can keep that in mind more of the time, then we can make choices to aim to strengthen the causes and conditions 
to head to it in certain directions. And that's the important point. Right? So it's not just impermanence, but you have to bring that together with uh, what we, the, 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 the word is conditionality. So one thing that I hope will all, perhaps you've done these reflections, if not, I hope you, I encourage you to spend a lot of time, is reflecting on where you want your life to aim, what you want your life to be about. And in particular, I like to think of it in the deepest sense or the highest sense. What you really want your life to be about. What are the choices we can make then that can aim ourselves so that we're living from that place more authentically more of the time? Right? And I can't tell you what your life should be about, but hopefully we're using Dharma teachings to influence whatever we... Uh, decisions or whatever, uh, whatever we come to, right? Because we want to keep in mind all things that are of a nature to arise are of a nature to pass away. So what's most important in your life? What do you want your life to be about given the fact that things change and nothing lasts, right? It may or may not make shifts in where in how you have been viewing your lives. And it doesn't mean that we're going to stop taking care of ourselves. Right? So, I know this body's not going to last. I'm reminded of it every day. I look in the mirror and I see this old guy looking back at me. (laughs) Who's that old guy? (laughs) So, you know, uh, it's hard to avoid. And so, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't notice it all the time, but it's, it's telling me every day. And every day that I wake up and more and more of the time, something hurts for no apparent reason. Of course, it is due to causes and conditions. I know what the causes and conditions called uh, old age. <laughs> you know, the body's telling you, uh, all, remember, the realization Condonia has had all things that are of a nature to arise or nature to pass are of a nature to pass away. It's nothing going wrong. It's the way things are. So the more we can, my body's telling me. If only I would pay attention, stop fighting it. Right. Things all around you. You know, winter was here, and it was kind of a strange winter this this season. But winter was here. Seems like we're moving into spring. It shifted, it changed, right? Uh, Young plants grow, they become mature, they die, they pass away. What were fresh green shoots and leaves are now dead leaves. So, you you know, this change in permanence, it's around us all the time. We can fall into negativity or depression when we reflect on impermanence. You know, it can become kind of nihilistic. What's the point of anything? And so uh, we want to be on the lookout. If if that happens, we want to be respectful of that, and we may need to... But if we we do fall into that, there's nothing wrong, but except our perception is incomplete. We've got the the perception about uh, impermanence, but we've missed the whole point of the, the whole path of Dharma, 
is the, really the question we're being asked, the invitation is, is can we find a way to come to a place of, we use these terms, liberation, freedom. And, the, and when you, uh, the way they describe Nibbana, that's the Pali Nirvana in the Sanskrit, is they, uh, you know, they talk around it because it's, it's considered to be ineffable, meaning it's beyond verbal conceptual categories, but then they'll still give you lists of adjectives. And, and they will talk about it as being the highest happiness, the deepest peace, the highest joy. You know, it, it doesn't sound bad. <laughs> so whether we uh, buy into that or believe it or not, the Buddha's inviting us, check it out for yourself. And, the, and the, 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 the invitation is, given the way that life is, including uh, that things don't last, can we find a way to come to peace and happiness, not depression, not be afraid, right? not fall into despair, and again, these things can happen, so we're not judging ourselves when they do, and we need to learn to work with them skillfully and be very respectful and compassionate for ourselves and others when we do deal with these. But to know also, uh, it's pointing us to a, to a way out. And the way out is not through avoiding, the way out is in, is to really come to know ourselves deeply and to understand the nature of our minds and our bodies and one of the pieces is, is this piece of impermanence and conditionality. So for me, when I reflect in this way, what becomes most important to me, what I want my life to be about in the deepest and highest sense, are many of these Dharma qualities that you hear and you know, the standard adjectives, the standard list. You know, how can I live in a way in which I'm... Uh, uh, my heart is open in love and compassion ever more deeply. This is my own list I'm sharing with you. How can I um, um, bring more clarity and wakefulness and wisdom and less reactivity and more wise responsiveness? And we could add many, many more. So I'm inviting you to reflect for yourself you know, what you want your life to be about in the highest, deepest sense. And then how can we set our course to head more deeply and more authentically to actualize those in our lives more and more. And so then that's the path of practice that we undertake. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of uh, the mundane, just our daily lives. There's a story of, um, I think it's in the book Food for the Heart, which, which is one of my uh, uh, all-time favorite Dharma books. It's a compilation of talks by the late, uh, the great... Um, Thai uh, monk Ajahn Chah, I believe it's in that book, uh, and uh, he said uh, someone came to him and reported that one of his young monks, they live in these little huts, kutis, and um, the, a storm had come and blown the roof in. Uh, so he was, the, the, the roof of his hut was open to the sky, and it was cl- half collapsed, and the monk wasn't fixing up his hut. And uh, Ajahn Chah went to the monk, and the monk complained and said, you know, I don't know what you want from me. You asked me to let go, and I let go even to this extent, and you're still not happy with me. And Ajahn Chah then was was reporting the story, and he said, "Uh, some people can be so stupid like this. And he instructed the young monk that you have to take care of yourself and you have to repair the roof and take care of yourself. I know this body's not going to last, 
but um, as I'm getting older, I'm finding myself doing more uh, cardio exercise than ever. When I was young, I loved working out in the gym. I used to, I wasn't a bodybuilder, but I would lift weights and I, it just felt good. Now I hate it. It's just amazing. It just all by itself just shifted. <laughs> but, and I, but I'm not allowing, I'm not choosing. It happens to be something that even though, yeah, the body's not going to last, but I'm still trying to take care of it. I'm not under any illusion that eating organic vegetables is going to prevent my death. <laughs> I understand that. But I still, but isn't it true? Somehow it still makes sense to take care of ourselves and take care of our relationships and how we live in the world. Right? We're out of balance if we don't do that. So we want to have a kind of a bigger perspective and we want to have the uh, everyday perspective and both matter. I think so. I mean, you have to come to your own decisions around that. We don't want to think that uh, those things are going to you know, uh, exercising and eating organic vegetables are going to offer more than they can. But that doesn't mean that they're not of value. So we want to not stop paying attention, but also uh, look on in the deeper places. One thing that can happen is sometimes people can uh, uh, fall into self-loathing or despair, uh, judging themselves very harshly by how they perceive, it's a misperception, that they're falling short. So I can tell you ahead of time, in case you haven't realized this, you're going to fall short, whatever it is, many times. We're human beings. You're going to fall flat on your face a thousand times. But if we can have the right perception, the right perspective, we don't have to beat ourselves up we see that the, those times actually are our teacher. And so one of my uh, aspirations, I've shared it here uh, uh, several times, is to, is to live so that my heart never shuts off to any, anyone, ever, under any circumstances. That's a real aspiration I have. And so, you know, I have, uh, and, and over the years of practice, it's... it's it's uh, improved tremendously, and I think people who know me would say I, tend, I think I am a pretty equanimous, loving guy. And I have many, many opportunities to see where more work needs to be done uh, every day, you know, in many, many different forms, right? One of the things that I used to think was a good idea but I didn't really believe was to hold people who were challenging and difficult, view them as being my teacher. I heard that somewhere, everyone's your teacher. I thought, well, that's a nice idea. It, I just wanted them to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see them as my teacher. And there's someone I, I, uh, who I, is, I encounter in my life, uh, I'm thinking of, who is a challenging person in my, in my life. I don't encounter them on a daily basis, but... Um, I would call a difficult person in my life. Um, and as I got in touch over the years with this particular perception, uh, this particular aspiration, never letting my, uh, my heart close off, well, for a long time, it was, I would just lose sight of that. 
I just couldn't, it couldn't work, deal with this person. And so I uh, would try many, many, whatever the strategy, get, get me away from them, get them away from me, whatever. By taking, I took on as a project what would it take to actually come to see this person as a teacher at not faking it to really, really being able to appreciate them. And it took a long time. It took a long time for the shifts to happen. Right? And I have t- had times of falling into judging myself. I fall short or I'm being reactive and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not, we're close to, to being loving. And it's not only for this challenging person, but all it takes is some person to cut me off in traffic or something, into, or whatever it is, something that I would think might be minor. And, you know, and see the ill will that comes up in my mind. And I had many, many times, you know, in the day to just look at my mind. And, and when you really become more aware, one of the things that it, some of you know this that can happen in meditation practices is that in some ways we, we begin to suffer less, but in other ways it can feel like it's getting worse because we become more sensitive and become aware on whole levels that perhaps we had no idea before, we weren't noticing. And now we feel everything, and, it's, and we haven't actually become more grouchy, but, I mean, maybe you do, but uh, uh, um, what's happened is, is that subtler levels uh, feel even bigger because per whatever it is, your version, say if it's about having a loving heart, it, we notice how it doesn't feel good to have a heart that's full of ill will or hatred or whatever it is, negativity. So it can feel like it's getting worse, and so that just can happen, just to be aware that that happens, right? But we shouldn't judge ourselves or beat ourselves up about it. We just want to know where we're aiming ourselves. And if we can hold that perspective, it really doesn't matter how good or bad we're doing any of this. It doesn't matter. What's important is, is that we have this sincere wholesome, beautiful intention of where we want to aim, and we're trying. And hopefully that can be enough to gladden our hearts and our minds, to know, wow, I'm really trying, and this is difficult. And I don't feel like I'm very good at it, but I still want to try. You know? That speaks very... Uh, uh, that's a perception that's deeply true about us if we want to uh, tie into our... Um, intention. And then we don't have to get all tied up in a knot on judging ourselves, I'm no good, or I'm bad, or I'm terrible, or whatever we think we are. Really doesn't matter. If you make no progress at all, I don't think that's possible really, but I'm just trying to make a point. Doesn't matter. Spent a whole lifetime, nothing happened, you made no progress. It's your intention, because your intention is what fuels your actions, setting up, going back to causes and conditions, wholesome causes and conditions, come out of your intention. And so I want to end with an image that I think, um, I like this image, I think of uh, these oil super tankers. And they're, I think as long as a few football fields, something like that, they're really long, and they're big and they're heavy. And if you want to turn one of those, you're out in the middle of the ocean, it doesn't happen right away because there's a lot of momentum 
built up heading in a certain direction. And they have to plan ahead. And they start turning and, and it takes a while and it lumbers around. And eventually, once it's heading in a new direction, there's a lot of momentum now going in the new direction. And if you've ever tried to change a habit, you know that it can be hard in the beginning. You keep forgetting over and over and over again. And we keep working the best we can. But over time, once the, once the momentum shifted in a new direction, it just becomes second nature. You're not trying at all anymore. It's just become a trait. So it's the same thing. You know, we spent a lifetime, or if, if you believe in traditional Buddhist cosmology, lifetimes, take your pick, heading in certain directions. And so when we start to change these patterns, we've, they've been deeply habituated and, compa- and, and, and conditioned over long periods of time. Right? You're not going to shift it necessarily overnight. Now, again, you have these traditional stories of some people who were not acting well and weren't leading wholesome lives, and then the Buddha came and did whatever, and, you know, they had the great awakening. Whether these are these archetypal stories or they really happened, we don't really know. So we don't want to judge ourselves against those, um, those kind of standards. But for most of us, it doesn't work that way. And we do the best we can. And so if you find yourself, you know, after 10 years, 20 years, more of practice, thinking, you know, I'm still. But what's your intention, your aspiration? That's the place to rest. And to really stay in touch with that, um, I just want to recommend as much as you can, what's my intention? You wouldn't suffer around, pick anything, say, because not being, not having a loving heart, say, if you didn't want to have a loving heart, it wouldn't be a problem. You wouldn't, have a, you wouldn't suffer because you're too reactive if you didn't want to be less reactive. So stay in touch with your intention, both to, to gladden your heart so we suffer less in the moment, and then um, the important piece is when we make choices, making choices is dependent on not being lost and caught up on automatic pilot in our lives, which we say not being mindful, and having some mindful presence to what's happening so we can have the ability to make a choice. When you've lost your mindfulness, we don't worry about that. I hope you don't, because you don't have a choice then. You're just going to respond or react based on how the condition patterns of your mind. And they, it, I mean, it can create a lot of suffering, no, no doubt. We're strengthening the mindfulness for many reasons. One is in service of to be awake and present and clear so we can have, make some choices. Informed by these teachings on impermanence, on conditionality, staying in touch with our intention, knowing what our highest aspirations are, and then moment by moment, um, not making a big, don't get tense about it, but in a relaxed way, in an open-hearted way, does this serve me for, my, for what I want it, my life, the direction I want to go in or not? And then you'll make whatever choice you make and move on. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. I'm going to stop here. 
and uh, we have a little bit of time. If anyone has any comments to share your, or uh, questions, yes, please. <laughs> okay, you hear me? Um, I need some advice, I think. And th this last month, um, the quantity of people around me, friends and family, who are becoming ill yeah. uh, or disabled in some way um, is, uh, uh, fills me with some despair. As yeah. I was listening to your talk this morning, I realized that that, that was going on for me. So um, this is apt to be my life. <laughs> A lot of this is apt to be in my life from now on. So I wondered if you could say something more about um, how to cohabit with the despair or yeah. not, you know, because it's the way it is. Yeah, right. Well, um, I can, I don't know specifically, but I can just offer a few, a couple of general ideas uh, to keep in mind. Um, and it involves uh, knowing how and when to meet some experience and be with it. In this case, a lot of loss and difficulty, illness, whatever's happening in your life. And when we need to... Uh, pull away somehow, if we have the option to pull away. Sometimes we have a difficulty, and whatever's going on, we can't get away from it. There's some chronic pain in the body or situation in our life, and then, you know, we're going to do the best we can. And that can be a lot of suffering if it really is too much for us and we can't get away. That's a whole other level of, and we need a lot of compassion at those times. In general, I think a lot of self-compassion, I don't have time to get into how might you cultivate it, but just to put the idea there, self-compassion. I think, matter of fact, for me, uh, we often talk about in the, the Buddhist world that the foundation before we do any uh, meditation or Dharma practice is what they call seal, it's the morality. I think underlying that is actually self-compassion. Uh, that's not the Buddha, I'm just saying that. But even before we come to meet uh, and take on morality, we can do that in a way that's hard on ourselves and judges ourselves. So we need to s always start with a lot of self-compassion for, for every one of us for, as a base. And we do the best we can with that. So you're going to need a lot of that. And then uh, bringing all the tools and, and skills you've learned to meet it and let go around it and have your heart open the best you can and towards yourself and others and, and bring your mindfulness and all of that of course, the best, you do the best you can with that. But I also think it's so important to find times when we need to build up our resources. If it is too much, you know, you're getting worn down, or the, either physically or mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and there's despair or whatever's going on. I think you, did you use the word despair? I think you did, something like that. You know, we may need to take a break and say, can I do something that will resource me? that can bring me some kind of, even if it's just some relief, or maybe actually even some happiness. And sometimes it may be as, as simple as, uh, you know, it may not be that, you know, you can take all afternoon and go hang out at your favorite spa or whatever it is, you, or go take a three-hour hike in nature. But even now, it may be that you walk outside and we don't miss the fact that the air smells clean today and the sky is blue and it looks like we're, it's a beautiful, beautiful spring day. And just to consciously take a moment in and not only to notice it, but consciously suffuse the, the good feelings of it into you, feel it in your body, find some, just whatever it is for you, music or, 
your pet or I don't know what it is, something, even if it's a few moments, but to consciously try to turn your mind towards something. Uh, and then when you've built your resources up, see if I can come back. Now, I, and again, I want to emphasize that may be a luxury to be able to do that. And then I don't, you're going to do just the best you can. By, by the way, I'll just add on, um, that's an interesting, uh, 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 useful approach that I'll offer uh, in lots of situations. Um, finding a way to turn away from the situation uh, can be very helpful. So, for example, I was saying that there's someone, long-term person in my life, is a challenging person in my life. Uh, sometimes what can happen for us is, in the moment, there's something difficult going on, say, with a person. And we're trying to shift our ourselves to be in more of an open-hearted relationship in the moment. So we've got that good intention. Okay, how can I open my heart? Well, that, that's great, and we can do that sometimes, but many times it's too difficult. And what, what we can experiment with is step away from the person. Uh, I don't know necessarily literally in the moment, but whenever it makes sense and it's right. When you're not with the situation of the per- person, turn your mind to something that gladdens it that makes you feel good and happy and loving, whatever it is. Really get yourself in that loving place. And now, keeping that alive, now turn back to the person that's difficult and say, okay, how does it feel to meet them now? Rather than trying to, you know, conjure it up somehow when it's, when it's too challenging. See, you know, oh, now my heart's loving. What is it like when I interact with this person? So that can serve us in many situations. I also have a challenging person who um, happens to be in my family, um, and I've done the same thing where I've done everything to avoid this person. And I'm just wondering how you manage to shift and how you're doing with that person now and how, how you change that, how you turn right. that around and how your experience is now with that person. Right. Um, well, um, as I said, um, <clears throat> with this person, but it, by the way, I do this with, with lots of times with people. Um, when I need to, is this idea of seeing them as a teacher. And, you know, that sounds like one of these sort of uh, generic Dharma platitudes that we put out, which is sort of a nice idea. But really, come to understand, and it, it might take some work and reflection, but, so I'll just invite you all, think about it for a few moments. If you want, again, pick whatever it is for you. I'm using my same example. Say to, so to not have your heart close off. Every time a difficult person comes around, they really honestly are doing me a favor. They're showing me a place where, uh, oh, the heart still can clo- can, is, is liable to shutting off. And, or pick whatever you're working on is, whatever it is for you. They may not be doing me a favor with, I mean, I still, it's not saying I don't take care of what needs to be taken care of, what they're doing or how they're acting may not be okay. And I may, and sometimes you may need to still be quite fierce to take care of yourself. I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself. You don't just become this passive blob or, you know, or whatever. No, we become engaged in our lives very actively, but from a place of non-reactivity, we want to be responsive, not reactive. So because that's something that's important for me, um, this I can really come to see. And if, the pers- if I can't see them as a teacher, then I want to take it on as a project, if you will, 
practice to come to honestly be able to see the person as a teacher. And when we get to that point, it shifts everything. And again, I'm just emphasizing, I may still need to act in a way that outwardly doesn't seem any different than what I would have done before. Like, you know, it's not okay to, to do this or to talk this way or whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. No question about that. It may shift how I interact with the person. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, if we could get that, um, it would change everything. I mean, someone actually... Um, I can't remember who it was. Uh, someone um, once suggested that you take on as a practice the idea that everyone is fully enlightened, except you. <laughs> <laughs> and everything they're doing is for your benefit. And, you know, and that was kind of humorous. And I actually have done that as an... Ex- uh, I've heard this, I don't know, it was many years ago. And, and I took it on as an experiment just for a day. It didn't last long, I kind of forgot. But, but just for a little while, even for a few minutes. Going, and it really shifts things, right? But then it went away. But actually, over the years, um, I don't hold it with that idea, but actually the idea that people are my teacher. Um, not because, again... They, whether, let me, let me put it this way, whether I think that's an interesting uh, perspective to cultivate, whether I appreciate it or not, it's true. It's always true. Every situation and everyone we encounter uh, really can be our teacher. It really is. It's showing us something about where we're at. And then, again, even if we fall flat on our face a thousand times, that's okay. It's not, oh, look how terrible you are. You can't even do this after, you know, 30 years and you're still pissed off at the person who parks in your parking lot or whatever it is, a parking spot. No, it's that, oh, okay, it shows me a place that I need to work. We don't have to beat ourselves up. Just, oh, okay, here's a place that's, there's st- I'm a human being. There's, oh, here's a place that still needs attending to. Real simple, if we can keep that perspective, yeah. Yeah, just one more, and then we're going to have to end. Yes. Uh, well, first of all, Richard, thank you for that last story. Your perspective is wonderful. Um, um, you talked about having the intention of keeping your heart open to all people at all times, regardless of situations, to the extent that's possible for you. Um, and... Um, an intention that I would like to have for myself and that I would like for all people to have. But from a, depending on where you're at, it can sometimes seem like there's just a massive need out there and that you could be pulled in so many different directions. And I think it's obvious that the way to respond to that when, when that feeling comes on is that you just need to have techniques to finding a balance between protecting yourself and having some time to yourself and responding to those needs. But I, I wonder if there's any more you could say about that. Well, I think I appreciate what you said about it. I think that's just right. Um, I just want to add, I wasn't talking about, I wasn't making any comment about how we might respond or act, what the action might look like. Um, I hope, you know, if we have an intention of want, so I'm taking, I guess from the way you're speaking, that when, if, 
just from what you said, that, that you're someone, you, you would want to help if you can, right? Yeah, that's not necessarily true for everyone, but so you want to be engaged, whether it's on individuals or in, in the, our community, society as a whole, whatever that might look like. So uh, um, you want to do that, and you want to find the balance too. So I don't know, it's hard to put out a generic answer to that because what can put us out of balance, there can be many, many different things, right? Sometimes people feel like they have to take care of the world or it's not okay to take care of themselves. I, I'm not saying that's you, but it could, for example. But if we had, say, something like that going on, then we'd want to look inside and say, well, what is it that keeps me from being in balance? Whatever it is, we should look inside. So I, that's an interesting place. Anytime we, we think we're out of balance in any way, well, we can just investigate, feel into it, inquire. Well, what's going on here? What, and, and, you know, the, we, we look into it the best we can. And we may not, you know, we, we can't see our blind spots, right, because they're blind spots, but we see what we can. Uh, and hopefully just being in the place where we can be as appropriate, it's a funny word, as respon- wisely responsive as possible. But otherwise, I don't know what to say more generically. It's what you said, finding the balance the best we can. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you all very much. Um, it, since it's exactly ending time, um, I'd like to take uh, less than one minute. This will be the, probably one of the shortest endings uh, you get around a place like this. If you have to get up and go right now, please, of course, take care of yourself and do so. Um, but just for this few seconds, I invite you to... Um, so perhaps you're already mindfully noticing what's happening in your body, in your mind, in your heart. Um, if not, checking into what's happening in your experience. And also um, invite you to notice how you are relating to whatever's happening, relating to your experience. And to see if, uh, even if, if perhaps it's unpleasant, whatever, if you can hold it with a, a sense of allowing, accepting, uh, um, letting it be. In other words, being able to just be present with what's happening, not getting in a struggle or a fight. Not always easy to do, so just do the best you can. And of course, if, if there's something going on for which you can't let be, then let that place in you be that can't let go around this. And then finally, uh, I invite you to take a few seconds few moments to uh, we're talking about intention just to reflect on your own your good intention I, I would actually expand it to say your own goodness I like to say your own the beauty the wholesome the good in you if you really can't find any place like that um, seriously please come see me at the end um, that's an easy fix because we all have it. And just to stay in touch with that intention that got you here, that, that does want to aim uh, from a Dharma perspective to what to, I would call the higher good. And hopefully letting that gladden your heart and mind and then we offer up, may the, uh, all, of, all of our good energies, good intentions, good efforts today, you could call it merit, May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful 
and may all beings come to an end of suffering. So thank you all for your practice today. It was nice to be able to uh, be with you.